Hello and welcome to the eBiomedicine podcast. I'm Dr. Salia Hassan, a UK senior editor for the journal, and I'm joined by Dr. Kamel Therese Harrington from the SIDS in Sleep Apnea Research Group at the Children's Hospital at Westmead in New South Wales, Australia. We will be discussing a recent paper that she published with us, Butyl cholinesterase is a potential biomarker of a sudden infant death syndrome that created waves in mainstream media and offered a glimmer of hope to distraught parents. Thank you very much for joining me, Dr. Harrington, to start off this conversation. Could you please briefly explain about the syndrome SIDS and how you became involved in this research area? Well, thank you very much for having me on this program. I appreciate it. But when we talk about SIDS, there's actually two terms that we need to understand um, to give us some perspective of what's going on. So um, one something is called sudden unexpected death in infancy, which is SUDI, and this is the unexpected death of an infant um, in the circumstances where their death was not expected by their parent or the healthcare provider um, in the 24 hours prior to death. So it's sudden and it's unexpected. Now, SUDI embraces is an umbrella term and it includes as a subset SIDS. Now, SIDS has a very definite definition, a very specific definition, and it's the sudden unexpected death of an infant less than 12 months of age with the onset of the fatal episode apparently occurring during sleep that remains unexplained after thorough investigation, including autopsy, death scene investigation and a clinical history. So, so SUDI includes that. It also includes uh, death by um, accidental suffocation, uh, ex- example when the barb is face down, or by um, unknown death. Now, SUDI in many countries is now the major cause of infant death outside the neonatal period. <clears throat> the burden is quite can be quite substantial, and in the US at has remained at 0.9 per thousand live births, uh, and that's remained at that level for something like 20 years, and that translates to 10 infant deaths per day. In Australia, the rate has been consistent at about 0.5 per thousand live births, and that's been consistent for about 10 years, and that translates to about three uh, per week. In the UK, your rate of about 0.4 per thousand live deaths uh, translates to about four per week or a baby dying every second day. So the impact and burden is substantial and has generational implications. Now, as I said, SIDS is not sooty um, and the rate of SIDS has fallen significantly since the Back to Sleep campaign. This arguably has been one of the most successful public health campaigns ever undertaken because it resulted in a real drop of the sooty and the SIDS rate. However, in many countries, while the SIDS rate has fallen by about 80%, the SUDI rate has only dropped by about 50%. And this difference is accounted largely by an increase in the rate of unknown death or death by accidental suffocation. So, and, and one your question as to how did I get involved in this very complex area? <laughs> you know, sometimes I think uh, we get where our life is chosen for us rather than the life we actually choose. And my son Damien died and when he died I was a lawyer and 
Prior to that, though, I was a biochemist but had decided to leave my love of science and the impecunious lifestyle that it promised and go into a high-income profession, which I did. But when he died, I that all changed overnight and I've spent the last 30 years not being paid but researching SIDS, which has become my passion. And I have to say that my story and my journey is not unique because I've been privileged to meet so many parents who, because of this tragedy, have pivoted overnight and have made a real contribution to our understanding and management of SIDS, either by research, fundraising, providing counselling, education. There's a whole lot of areas they move into. But I can assure you that bereaved parents are a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing such a personal and touching story. It's made me emotional. Um, to move on to the next question, could you please briefly explain about the biomarker that you identified in the study butylcholinesterase and what is its exact role in the body? How does it differ from acetylcholinesterase and how do you hypothesize that it's linked to SIDS? Yes, well, butylcholinesterase, we refer to it BCHE because the name just is too long. <laughs> and, and its sister uh, enzyme, acetylcholinesterase or ACHE, are known collectively as the cholinesterases and they're enzymes of the cholinergic system. Now, the cholinergic system is a major branch of the autonomic uh, nervous system. And we can think of the autonomic nervous system like our automatic nervous system and people will often know it as the sympathetic like the fight or flight or the parasympathetic which is the rest and, and digest and so the cholinergic system plays a major role in regulating many things including arousal the new the principal neurotransmitter of the cholinergic system is acetylcholine and because ACHE and BCHE hydrolyze acetylcholine, they're deemed to be modulators of cholinergic activity, okay? So at this point, though, it is important to realise that ACHE hydrolyzes acetylcholine at a much greater rate than BCHE and is actually considered the major enzyme of the system. It's not BCHE at this point. And so it would be also fair to say that by and large, we don't have a clear understanding of the full functions of BCHE, although there's been some great work done by a number of scientists and, and, and groups, including the Darvish group. And they show that BCHE uh, positive neuropills are associated with parts of the brain within the ponds that are involved in the regulation of the sleep-wake cycle as well as arousal. And it's been suggested by some people that, or researchers, that BCHE is involved in maintaining our acetylcholine levels in the arousal system, so playing an important role in our arousal responses. So to the question is how could a low level of BCHE be linked to SIDS? Well, we hypothesise that a deficiency in BCHE may reflect an immature or less than optimal arousal response, which results in an impaired arousal to a given environmental challenge. Now, that environmental challenge could be infection, so a cold or um, an upper respiratory tract infection. It could be sleep apnea, or it could be a consequence of CO2 breathing because the bub is lying face down. 
But further research is required to elucidate what exact mechanisms are involved. Now, in our study, we would like to have reported on acetyl cholinesterase level, and of course, it would be ideal to be able to measure both these cholinesterases, and that was our initial plan. However, we found that this wasn't possible in the dry blood spot samples. Now, the reason for this, we think, is that while BCHE is in the plasma, ACHE is in the red blood cell. Now, with dry blood spots, the process of drying onto the filter paper lyses the red blood cell and probably results in the degradation of the ACHE as a consequence. Now, we're not 100% sure this was the case, but other studies measuring cholinesterases in dry blood spots have only ever reported on BCHE, not ACHE, which might indicate that they've encountered the same methodological issues that we did. And so in this study, we, we had to report BCHE as uh, units um, per milligram. Now, normally BCHE activity is reported in units per litre, but because we had to overcome the variability as of where we punch the spot uh, in the dry blood spot itself. So we had to overcome the punch location and the hematocrit. So we had to normalise BCHE activity to the amount of protein in the um, spot. Um, and so, of course, uh, protein is measured in, in grams per litre, so our results are reported in units per milligram. Could you please comment on the age ranges that you used in the study, especially the overlap between the SIDS and the non-SIDS groups, because the age range definition varies from country to countries? Yes, that's right. Look, it's pretty much standard these days for SIDS, for SIDS death to be, by definition, less than 12 months of age. Our study, though, as you indicated, included babies up to 24 months of age. Now, while the children aged 12 to 24 months would be considered sudden unexplained deaths in early childhood, or SUDIC, there's another acronym there for you, <laughs> In designing our study, we noted growing interest in those babies that die suddenly um, from no determined cause who are, who are aged between 12 to 24 months and actually who represent 10% of sudden deaths in the first two years of life. So the reason for our interest is because it has been suggested that there may be a developmental continuum. And so we decided to include this age group in our investigation and we chose the term non-SIDS to refer to this group. What is the heel prick technique that was used in the study and its utility compared with obtaining fresh blood samples? As you say, we, may, we did utilise the dried blood spots taken at birth. Now, these are obtained two to three days post-birth and the baby's heel is pricked and a few drops of blood are put onto some uh, special filter paper. Now, the filter paper is allowed to dry and then sent off for newborn screening tests. Now, in Australia, that's called a Guthrie test uh, or it's just a newborn screening program and you would have it as well. It's, it's fairly um, worldwide. Um, in Australia, the cards are kept for up to 18 years and 96% of our parents consent to future de-identified research. And so we were able to use these as our controls and we were able to access uh, the infants who had subsequently died from their newborn screening. Now, you're not able to do this in um, blood because um, it's not feasible to 
to take blood from every newborn child. The only way um, we can do these newborn screening programs is via the heel prick and, and we screen for, for lots of um, pathologies at that time. And so this study was uh it was great in that we were able to access those heel bricks from that time and actually see a difference in children that went on to die of SIDS as compared to their surviving controls. How do you envision the findings of this study to be incorporated into clinical practice in the future? Well, right now, all we know is that some babies with this deficiency um, of this enzyme will go on to die of SIDS. However, as the paper indicates, there's considerable overlap because we also know that some infants with a similarly low level will not, okay, so they'll, be, they'll survive and they'll be healthy. The level of activity we found is only a marker. We need to understand a lot more about the system before we know what mechanism or mechanisms are involved. It could be that this marker is indicative of a hypo or hyperactivity of some other system that has a flow-on effect to the cholinergic system. So we just don't know enough. And we'd love to be able to say, yes, we have a test, but we don't because a lot more work needs to be done at this point. That leads me on to my next question. So what are the future directions of your lab in this research area? And since the paper was published, have there been any collaborations that you have established to realize this? Um, well, there's so much more work to do before we can understand the full implications of this study. I think of this study as just the beginning, um, but my hope today is the same as when I first started on this journey, that it is one day this finding will lead to a capability to screen babies at birth and to offer appropriate interventions so that every baby can go to sleep and just wake up. Um, I, I, I have presented these um, findings at an international meeting and there's lots of people who are very keen to collaborate. The more people that get involved in this work, the quicker we will come to some resolution and offer real hope to parents. Um, and indeed, is every newborn parent's nightmare um, that this could happen um, out of the blue to their children. So we really do hope that this work will lead on to more substantial work that will be able to be translated into real clinical practice. But um, I know in over time when it was first reported as you said it created a lot of waves <laughs> and um i think um it's important for me to emphasize that we um didn't find a cause <laughs> we found a marker of vulnerability um we know that not all infants with low bchg activity will die and we need to better understand the complexity of the system and only future research will do this. And um, while I would love it to have been a cause, <laughs> we're not there yet. Um, lastly, just continuing on that note, um, do you feel that there's any message that the mainstream media put out there that was misconstrued and you'd like to clarify? There was a number of things. It's easy in the nuance of science um, to get the message wrong. 
So I know some people said, you know, the cause of SIDS has been found. Well, I've clarified that. Another message that's been going out I've heard about is that, you know, we don't have to worry about safe sleep practices. That couldn't be farther, further from the truth. So one of the things I've spoken about is this the importance of those public health campaigns and the back to sleep campaign by putting bub on their back and not on their tummy has really reduced the incidence of this. And if anything, our results emphasize the importance of that because we're saying there might be an issue with the arousal responses. So if anything, our results emphasize the importance of continuing to practice those good sleep practices and also to keep in mind that smoking, don't smoke during pregnancy, Keep bub in a smoke-free environment and, where possible, breastfeed. These are uh, epidemic population studies that have been shown over and over again to be effective in reducing um, the risk of SIDS. So I would like to, to emphasise the continuing importance of that. Mm. That was Dr. Kamal Therese Harrington from the SIDS and Sleep Apnea Research Group at the Children's Hospital at Westmead in New South Wales, Australia. You can download and read the paper for free from our journal's website. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for next month's episode.